A young driver busted racing across the Lionsgate Bridge again. With such a reckless disregard for the lives of other people. The startling coincidence that got him arrested. Eaten alive. Well over 200 bites. It's an intense itchiness. One family not happy they shared a motel room with bed bugs. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Rescue crews pull a woman to safety who says she had been down there for days, injured and unable to move. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin with breaking details of that rescue from the bottom of a ravine. The victim has serious injuries and she likely would still be there if not for a lucky break and a reluctant hero. Tanya Beja reports. Firefighters secure the lines Hold up. for a rescue in a Surrey ravine. They're preparing to pull up a woman who fell down a 50-foot drop in the forest of a nearby subdivision. A man was looking for his missing bike in the same ravine. I guess I was making a lot of noise, and uh, she heard me and called out for help. Clint Whitla looked around and spotted the woman who said she had been stuck for five days. We're going to hit that carabiner. She was lying there, and she's bruised and pretty beat up, so uh, I called 911. Members of the High Angle Rescue Team cut branches to reach the victim and carry her to safety. She had no shoes, no phone, and no food. She was conscious at the time they were talking to her, um, but BC Ambulance will be assessing her to see what the extent of her injuries are. Whitla never found his bike, but says he feels good he was in the right place at the right time. I don't think that I'm a hero or anything like that. I just made a phone call. It's, I don't know, just helping out another person. Well, Tanya's live in our newsroom. Uh, it's a, really an amazing story. Do we know how she got down there to begin with, Tanya? Well, she told rescuers that she had been sitting on a log in the forest, and when she got up, she stepped off the wrong side, falling about 50 feet down the ravine. After five days, she's lucky to be alive, and the extent of her injuries still unknown. Chris and Sophie, back to you. All right, thanks very much, Tanya. Now, breaking news in the Okanagan, where a wildfire is burning south of Penticton and at least one home has been destroyed. B.C. wildfire crews and the Caledon Fire Department want to contain it before it grows. It's at about one hectare right now. Air tankers and helicopters are working on it. We are told there are other structures at risk in the area. Now, RCMP are going door to door along Tamarack and Oak Avenues, evacuating residents as the wind continues to blow the fire in their direction. Early reports indicate there are residents with injuries, but RCMP have yet to release information about how those injuries were sustained. We will bring you more on this story as new details become available. And a quick update on the Harrison Lake wildfire still burning out of control tonight. It's estimated at 115 hectares and only 5% contained. Wildfire officials say it's one of the main fires of note among 36 that are currently burning across the province. A Ferrari clocked at 210 kilometers an hour going over the Lions Gate Bridge early this morning is now sitting in the impound lot. The shocking level of recklessness goes without saying, but this isn't even a first offense for this driver. Ted Chernecki joins us live with more on this. Ted, this driver has been pulled over four times for excessive speeding. That's right, four times, and in each case, the vehicle was impounded, which raises the question, like, how far does it have to go before a driver like that is taken off the road for good? 
It's a pretty distinct sound when someone revs up a $300,000 Ferrari. Uh, the officer said he, he heard the vehicle before it came into view. In fact, that same West Vancouver police officer had heard this before at the same location on the Lionsgate Bridge just three months earlier with the same 22-year-old West Vancouver driver behind the wheel. It's more common to see a number with a one in front of it. It's about to say, you were doing one, and he's like, no, wait, you were doing 210. It's just, it's so unusual. Using a dash cam, driving at about 52 kilometers an hour, we've sped up this video by a factor of four to get an idea of what 210 looks like, except the other vehicles would look like they're standing still. There needs to be a message sent to this individual. There are other examples of excessive speeding, like this motorcyclist on Vancouver Island who posted a video of himself driving 299 kilometers an hour. The previous Liberal government had already greatly increased fines for excessive speeding, but they didn't work here, nor did they work this morning. Losing their driving privilege for a very, very long time, or the, count, the car is uh, pounded in permanently, um, you know, maybe even crushed. It's just incredible potential for catastrophe. This vehicle pound is almost a second home for the offending white Ferrari. Four times the driver of this car has been caught speeding excessively, and each time the vehicle has been impounded. The most recent incident happening in April this year, again on the Lionsgate Bridge, clocked at 130 kilometers an hour. And far from doing it again, this time he's clocked at 210. Four times. All right, so Chad, if people can afford to pay these fines, what's to stop them? Well, that's exactly it. As you heard, Mike Farnworth, uh, these fines aren't working for the super rich here, and uh, changes may be in the work. It's also why the West Vancouver police, in this case, did not issue a ticket. They issued a court order. They want this guy to go to, before a judge. And uh, finally, uh, the motor vehicle branch does have the power to suspend a license if they think the driver is a risk to the public, and that didn't happen. So I think it's safe to say that changes are in the wind. Sylvie? All right. Thanks for that, Ted Trenecki at the Lions Gates. A lot happening this afternoon. More breaking news now out of the Fraser Valley where police are investigating a suspicious death in Abbotsford. The integrated homicide investigation team was called out when the body of a man was found inside an apartment on Braun Avenue. Not many details other than that available right now, but police say this does not appear to be connected to the lower mainland gang violence of the past few months. A surprising turn of events in a 2014 gangland murder in Richmond. Just as the trial for the two men charged was about to get underway, the first-degree murder charges against them were stayed. The case tossed out. Ramina Dea explains why. The murder terrified parents in this Richmond neighborhood. The body of Theron Poitra discovered near an elementary school in 2014. Yeah. The suspects charged with first-degree murder. The trial was supposed to begin last week in B.C. Supreme Court. But the charges were quietly dropped. The public in the dark. Very unusual. Very unusual outcome in a first-degree murder charge. Andrew Nelson was representing 29-year-old Sean Jennings, one of the accused. Nelson says Crown confirmed the charges were thrown out five days before trial. They didn't go into any detail. I uh, do have, I could make an educated guess, uh, but I don't want to speculate about that. Did someone make a mistake? Is there another suspect? The prosecution service is refusing to answer any questions. 
The only thing we know is that new information has been revealed. In a statement, a spokesperson said there was no longer a substantial likelihood of a conviction based on the available evidence. In these circumstances, a stay of proceedings is the appropriate course of action. Very rare. It's almost unheard of. Criminal lawyer Kyla Lee is not connected to the case. Her best guess at what happened? In this case, it appears that some piece of new evidence or new information has come to light that's made it impossible for the Crown to proceed with the charges. And usually what that means is that the defence or the police or somebody has uncovered some piece of information that suggests that the people who were charged might not actually be the perpetrators of this crime. Jennings and 26-year-old David Nguyen free on murder charges in B.C., but they're facing other serious charges in Alberta. Jennings headed to trial for second-degree murder in that province. Romina Dea, Global News. Prince George RCMP are investigating a shooting at a local mall. It happened just before four this morning. The suspect smashing a truck into the Pine Centre Mall. RCMP believe a shot was fired at a security guard on duty before the suspect took off. The security guard was not harmed and uh, contacted us right away and we attended uh, shortly after. Unfortunately, the suspect uh, fled the area and we were not able to apprehend him. At this point, we uh, uh, are still looking for information from the public as to who this might be. A freak accident has claimed the lives of two people on the Coquihalla Highway. It happened just before 6 this morning. RCMP say a southbound driver hit a deer just past Logan Lake, causing the vehicle to veer into a deep ditch. Two of the three occupants were killed. The third sustained critical injuries. Really use caution when you're driving anywhere on the highways. It doesn't matter if it's a clear, sunny day. Uh, obstacles can come out of nowhere, and so it's really important that you keep your wits about you, that you aren't using your telephone, that you aren't distracted, that you are not using any intoxicating substances, so alcohol or drugs. And if you have other people in the, in the vehicle, ask for their assistance too. They can be a, an, an additional eyes on the road. Some residents of East Vancouver are facing a big cleanup after a water main break that flooded two homes and forced them to evacuate. Jeff Hastings has more on the cleanup and why this break is unusual. Jeff. Chris and Sophie, it was just past midnight last night when the water main back there let go, sending a torrent of water down the street, around the corner, and into people's homes. The pipe popped just after midnight. A water main break, a torrent rushing along Nanaimo, down 28th Ave, and through a family's front door. Basically. I said, oh, there's water coming into the house. Come help now. A good try. The hastily erected barrier is a valiant but futile effort. I just tried to board up as best as I could, but there's just way too much water. Recycling bins and an old door don't do the trick either. We just started grabbing buckets and blankets trying or towels and trying to jam the, oh, the edges so that the water can't come in. At sunrise, it slowed to a trickle. A closer look at the problem pipe reveals a gaping hole, but it's not immediately apparent why it failed. It's usually temperature variance. It's mostly common in the winter when, the, when it gets really cold, uh, but at this point, we're not sure what happened. Nanaimo Street is completely closed. The road peeled back on one side. The water main created crater blocking the other. The water mains are designed to last 100 years. And so this one is, was about midway in its life at around 1961. That's quite early then for it to rupture like that. Well, it's, 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 it's 
halfway half through its life. The pipe fixed, it's time to mop up and move on. I guess if Retired. it happens, we just need to deal with it, and I just want it done fast, and I just don't want any more issues. So they've spent much of the day cleaning up their house, trying to keep things dry. But the homeowners, Chris and Sophie, have also been on the phone all day, emailing insurance adjusters, trying to communicate with the city. And they're hoping that their insurance covers it. They're also hoping that the city will pay their deductible. Back to you. All right. Thanks very much, Jeff. A Vernon family is raising concerns tonight, speaking out about a rather unpleasant stay at a North Vancouver motel. The Stewarts say their family was eaten alive by bedbugs while they were staying at the Comfort Inn on Capilano Road last month. They claim the manager knew about the bedbug problem, but allowed the family to stay in the room anyway. They were big, four, about four or so big bugs with eggs and lots of excrement stains and there was lots of excrement stains around the mattresses and so we knew it was bed bugs. The saddest thing is other than the frontline supervisor we have not had an apology to date. Well, the Comfort Inn and Suites tells Global News it offered the family a two-night complimentary stay in another room which they accepted. The manager adds the bed bugs were in one room and it will be closed for three or four days for bug removal. Vancouver City Councillor Jeff Meggs is stepping down from his post at City Hall to become the chief of staff for NDP leader and premier designate John Horgan. Keith Baldry is live in Victoria with more on the appointment and Keith Meggs is no stranger to the NDP. Certainly no stranger to the NDP and no stranger to John Horgan. The two of them, both senior aides in the Glenn Clark NDP government of the 1990s, along with Adrian Dick. So the three top aides uh, under the political aides under Glenn Clark are now in key positions in the incoming government. John Horgan, of course, is premier. Jeff Meggs uh, was communications director. He's now going to be chief of staff. And Adrian Dix is un- undoubtedly going to be a top cabinet pick of John Horgan. So uh, Meggs's return is interesting. It creates a significant vacancy on the Vancouver Council that will be a by-election to replace uh, his seat there. As well, Meg's history is basically from the left labor side of the NDP, and it's going to be interesting to see the changing relationship now between Vancouver City Hall and the provincial government. That's been a fractious relationship for years. One assumes now the relationship between Vision Vancouver and the incoming NDP government will be quite strong, not the least of which the reason will be because Jeff Meg's arguably the top councillor in Vancouver, coming over here in Victoria, basically to run the ship for his old pal John All right, Keith, thanks very much. Some eye-opening numbers on assisted suicide in the first six months after it was made legal in Canada. On Vancouver Island, approximately a dozen people per month are choosing the option. And while the numbers are only growing, Nitu Garcha explains why some doctors providing the service may have to stop. From June to December 2016, there were 72 medically assisted deaths on Vancouver Island. At this point, I have assisted over 50 people to attend their life. The data was gathered by physicians like Dr. Stephanie Green. She says across Canada, 0.6% of all deaths in that time were medically assisted. In BC, it's double the national average at 1.2%, and Vancouver Island leads the country at 2%. But the doctors offering the service on the island are frustrated, some even walking away. The problem? Inadequate pay. It's emotional, it's very intense, it's time-sensitive, um, It's uh, time-consuming. There's a legal component and a responsibility that comes with it. It's very emotional. The fee structure to pay the physicians to do this work is 
is woefully inadequate. The recently approved fee structure also means that doctors have to cap patient assessments. To tell British Columbians that I should spend 90 minutes total trying to assess whether they should make this choice at the end of their life and whether they're eligible is a slap in the face to these patients and inadequate for me. One Vancouver Island physician sent this letter to his colleagues after making the tough call to stop offering the service. It is agonizing, but ultimately I can't both do justice to the procedure and earn enough uh, of an income. As a result, uh, I I, I had to tell my colleagues that uh, I'm no longer able to see referrals for assisted dying. And and I know I'm not alone. There are at least three other physicians on Vancouver Island who are saying they're going to do the same thing. Most medically assisted deaths occur in the home. So that involves a home visit. So this is something new. The province has to compensate them adequately. The Ministry of Health says the new fees were put forward by a section of general practitioners and did go through a review and approval process. But now even Green says she might be faced with a difficult decision. Even those of us who are really passionate about doing this work and really want to keep doing it, it's simply unaffordable to keep going. Neetu Garcha, Global News, Victoria. Breaking news now in the Port Kells area of Surrey. Not a lot of details right now, but it is a major fire. Trish Jewison has an excellent view of it up in Global One. Trish, tell us what you see. Uh, dealing with what looks like a fire at a logging company, J.S. Jones Logging Division. It's in the Port Kells area. Golden Ears Connector is the street that it's on, right near South Fraser Perimeter Road and uh, 176th Street. It's not have any roads closed through this area, but it is a visual distraction, especially for traffic on South Fraser Perimeter Road. Plenty of fire crews on scene here. Looks like they're getting it slightly under control. I don't see any more big orange flames anymore, but plenty of smoke throughout the area here. Back to you, Chris. And might be for some time. All right, thanks very much, Trish Jewison up in Global One. Raising the alarm about an immigration scam, dozens of ads just like these are popping up in foreign newspapers. Parents offering all expenses paid for smart single women who qualify for entrance into Canadian universities. All they have to do in return is agree to an arranged marriage. Why it's a fast track to citizenship, even if it's against the law in just over two minutes. Rumors of a huge payout to one-time terror suspect Omar Khadr, why he could get millions from the Canadian government. And this little guy isn't supposed to be here. Why the appearance of this rare turtle rescued from a Burnaby road is actually a troubling sign. Questionable marriages for the purposes of immigration are nothing new, but there are reports tonight that it's become a booming underground industry in some countries. The tactic apparently allowing rich families to use Canada's generous student policies to jump the queue. Nadia Stewart tells us how it works. Now the daughter is actually bringing the dory. It is newspaper ads like these this former citizenship judge says he's seeing more of. Ads from young, educated, English-speaking Indian girls whose families are looking for wealthy young Indian men to pay for their education. The goal? A quick marriage and a shortcut to Canada. If somebody can marry uh, an international student just before he comes or she comes to Canada, that person will get a work permit. And obviously, they all enjoy free uh, healthcare system, free uh, education for their kids. And three, four years, uh, both get immigration. And at the age of 22, 23, you're set for life. Her wall is sounding the alarm now. Justice! Justice! 
following incidents in Australia in 2009. Anger directed towards international students as their numbers surged to become the country's third biggest export industry. Government has since tightened visa rules for students. We have to put limits on the student population of foreign international students. Something Perwal, now a university professor, is calling on the Canadian and BC governments to do, particularly in BC. He suggests there are some private colleges here where the student population is made up entirely of international students. These private colleges, in particular, uh, they pretend to provide education and students, international students, pretend to study, but the aim is actually Canadian immigration. His hope now is that speaking up will get government's attention to a problem he believes isn't just limited to India, but could be much more widespread. Nadia Stork, Global News. A Richmond clothing company can barely keep up with demand. I thought to myself, am I awake? Am I dreaming? How an important order from Ottawa changed everything. And lost in translation, this man's battle against a strata council that doesn't always speak his language. Originally went to the Human Rights Tribunal, frustrated that strata meetings were only being conducted in Mandarin. And while a resolution was reached independently, one of the original complainants has already moved out, fearing those changes won't last. It's a step the Cargoots never thought they'd have to take, leaving Richmond over a bitter language war. Whenever our kids would go outside, their kids would all go inside. And about two minutes after our kids went back inside, their kids would go outside and play. Forced to move to Vernon after finding themselves at the center of a fight with their Richmond Strata Council. The choice to hold meetings only in Mandarin, translating into a complaint with the Human Rights Tribunal. We had actually wanted to stay in that townhouse until the kids were gone and we retired. But things just kept on escalating and getting worse. Neighbor Alex Tan says it's sad that a young family could be pushed out by an alleged lack of inclusion. Normally in summertime they'll be running around the complex and, you know, playing games and stuff like that. But now we don't hear. But the new president of the Wellington Court Strata Council so says changes were made last year. So we set up this new uh, by now. That's a, every, that's a council meeting. If somebody that's a, want to attend this council meeting... Uh, and, see, and he can't uh, speak Chinese when speaking English. While the proof is in writing in the council meeting minutes, some residents don't believe it will last. These people are not um, trying to accept our way of life as Canadians and in a way imposing their own rules. And while he's nearly 500 kilometres away, Kargut says he'll keep fighting until his human rights case is heard. It's a class action uh, complaint, and uh, we want to set a precedent. So while the dream of raising a family in Richmond is over, the strife surrounding this strata is far from settled. John Hua, Global News. Well, stray pets are a big problem in any city, but an amazing discovery in Burnaby shows it isn't always cats and dogs. No, it took some sleuthing on the part of local animal welfare to find out exactly what it was and just how rare it is. Linda Aylesworth has the details. It was on this road near Burnaby Lake that a good Samaritan made a rather odd discovery last week. So it was found basically in the middle of this road, um, just sitting in the middle of the road, and a, a member of the public came across it and was concerned. As luck would have it, the find was made just a few steps away from the Wildlife Rescue Association. We were trying to figure it out. We thought it might be a red-bellied 
slider. They were partly right. It was a turtle. But for a positive identification, it was sent to the Dudney Animal Hospital in Maple Ridge. It wasn't until it got here that we saw this orange patching on the skin and realized that what this we were dealing with was actually an endangered wood turtle. From the East Coast, no less. Dr. Walton suspects it was taken from the wild in Ontario, then kept as a pet by someone who didn't know what he was doing. These guys normally will have a very smooth shell, but... If they're given too much protein, they'll develop these things called pyramiding, where some of the shells become almost like a pyramid. So how did it end up near Burnaby Lake? Because people uh, don't want to take care of it anymore, and they dump it at the lake, or they, they think it will be fine at the lake. More commonly, it's another non-native turtle species, the red-eared slider that ends up being discarded in our lakes. It's a problem because they compete with native species, like our endangered painted turtles. Unfortunately, as much as I love turtles, the red-eared sliders drive me completely bad. More often than not, when red-eared sliders come here, it's to be euthanized. But that's not the case for this wayward wood turtle. Tonight, he's going home to Ontario. If you can't take care of an animal, you shouldn't have it. So I'm glad he, for whatever reason, whether he was dumped or escaped, I'm glad we can get him into a facility that knows how to handle them. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Another one from the Animal File here. Who doesn't love to cool down in a swimming pool when the weather gets too hot? Global viewer Angela Spanier is sending us this video from Salmon Arm of a mother and two cubs taking advantage of the kiddie pool. Kind of looks like Mama Bear is hogging it, though, doesn't it? <laughs> well, the kids are interested in exploring I think that's the backyard. Anyway. It's the apology that could make former child soldier Omar Khadr a multimillionaire. Next. And North Korea's 4th of July fireworks. It is a game changer if they can ultimately hit the United States. How the Americans are reacting to the test of a missile that could reach the U.S. Also tonight, riding a green wave. Appearance isn't the only thing that makes this boat unusual. Reports tonight that the federal government has agreed to apologize to former Guantanamo Bay prisoner Omar Cotter and pay him more than $10 million. It sparked an emotional reaction Cotter pleaded guilty to five war crimes committed as a teenage soldier and was thrown into Guantanamo Bay. He spent 10 years there, sued the Canadian government for $20 million for breach of his rights. Human rights advocates say a settlement is long overdue. Critics say the money should go to help the families of his victims. The U.S. has asked for an emergency meeting of the United Nations Security Council following North Korea's successful test launch of its first intercontinental ballistic missile. That launch, a potentially game-changing escalation in what may be the world's most dangerous nuclear standoff. Tonight, Pentagon officials confirming that the launch was an intercontinental ballistic missile. The North Koreans releasing these images of the missile, which could threaten the U.S. The missile launched announced as a miracle on North Korean state TV. The country's dictator shown watching the launch through binoculars and on TV screens. Aides celebrating afterward. Fired almost straight up into the atmosphere, the missile flew for a record 37 minutes, traveling nearly three times higher than the 570 miles it covered on the ground, splashing down near Japan. But fired at a lower trajectory, the missile could possibly travel more than 4,000 miles, putting Alaska into range. 
The launch, the 10th test since President Trump assumed office, all in violation of U.N. resolutions and grabbing the president's attention. Tweeting this morning about Kim Jong-un, does this guy have anything better to do with his life? Hard to believe that South Korea and Japan will put up with this much longer. Perhaps China will put a heavy move on North Korea and end this nonsense once and for all. Earlier this year, the top commander in the Pacific admitting that North Korea has already put Hawaii on guard. Kim Jong-un is clearly in a position to threaten uh, Hawaii today. Two, one, ignition. U.S. officials say that their own successful test of a missile interceptor in late May that took down a missile during a simulated attack on California can keep the continental U.S. safe until 2020. This represents an incremental improvement in their missile capability, but it is a game changer if they can ultimately hit the United States. Pentagon officials say that a functioning ICBM is only one half of the nuclear threat. The other is a miniaturized nuclear warhead that can survive re-entry. But they have long said that by the time North Korea has achieved both, it may be too late. An exciting first day on the job for Canada's newest astronauts. A very warm welcome for Joshua Kutrick and Jennifer Seide as they arrived at the Canadian Space Agency. The two Albertans beat out more than 3,700 applicants for the jobs. They begin basic training in Houston next month. And this futuristic-looking vessel is the world's first self-sufficient boat, powered only by emission-free energy, arriving in Paris today. It's embarking on a six-year trip around the world. The former multi-hull race boat is now equipped with solar panels, wind turbines, and a hydrogen fuel cell system. It's powered by wind, the sun, and self-generated hydrogen. In health news tonight, there is new evidence that some popular heartburn drugs might increase the risk of early death. American researchers analyzed data on 350,000 people taking heartburn medications. They found a higher death risk among those taking proton pump inhibitors for an extended period of time. Experts cautioned this was an observational study only, and people taking heartburn drugs should consult with their doctor. A backyard explosion caught on camera. A garden shed gets completely flattened. What likely caused it? And how this Canada Day picture of the Trudeau family put a Richmond clothing company in the history books. After the forecast, why this shed is a warning for everyone about proper storage. It's a nice shed. It was a nice shed. It was. It was. <laughs> it was a nice, a nice shed. Ah, yes. <laughs> All right. Meteorologist Christy Gordon joining us now well into summer. It's looking great out there. It sure is. What a perfect long weekend for everyone. Hot, sunny, near the water, nice little breeze. That's what we saw again today. It's been a pretty nice stretch. We haven't had any rain at the airport for close to two weeks and no rain for the near future. Uh, what we're going to be focusing in on are the numbers, potentially record-breaking. So I'll show you who could really heat up in the next couple of days. We're at 20 degrees at the airport. That was our max, and that's actually below average for this time of year. That's because of that westerly breeze keeping things cooler. But those of you in the interior certainly warmed up today. These are a good four to five degrees above average for this time of year. And record-breaking numbers would be mid-30s, and that's what you'll be climbing up to as you head into the next couple of days and why we could see those record-breaking numbers. Uh, Upper-level low sitting offshore, that's actually going to slide to the north, keeping things beautiful 
beautiful and sunny for the next little while, except for those of you in the Fort Nelson region. You will see cloud and rain for the next 24 hours and a high of only 16 degrees. It's the rest of us that will be enjoying the sunshine. Fort Nelson, you'll see things change, though, in the next uh, 24 hours. So by uh, Thursday, you'll start to see that. Here's a look at the sunshine. So 24 degrees, Tara Smithers, Prince George as well. Uh, much warmer, though, through the south at 27 in Williams Lake. And check these numbers out. 34 in Kamloops, down towards the Soyuz as well. 33 in Merritt and Kelowna. 36 degrees expected in Castlegar. And tomorrow is just the start of it. Thursday and Friday will be the two hottest days of this week. And then as we head into the weekend, things will moderate a little bit. We'll continue with sunshine. There are your numbers for the south coast. Keep in mind, uh, the forest danger rating right across the province are moderate to extreme right now. So make sure you're careful with uh, cigarette butts and open fires. There's your forecast, everyone. The peak of the heat on Thursday, 30 degrees inland, 27 on Friday. Hot and sunny all week long, and the UV index will be very high. Chio Cuba celebrates 100 years today, and James Smith as well. And your weather window for tonight from Brooke Bowers in Kamloops, a sunset shot, the sun uh, sort of uh, refracting off of the um, water droplets in the um, cloud cover, and that's what creates that beautiful color, yellows and Lovely. oranges and pinks. It's been the year of the sunset photo. Yes, because it's Very been, well, not a year, but for the last couple of weeks <laughs> since it's been sunny. Looking good. All right, thanks, okay. KG. If you store your gas or other flammables in your garden shed, this video might make you move them out. Caught by a home security camera in England, a large garden shed blows up. The walls and roof blasted apart before the building catches fire. Investigators believe a faulty fluorescent light ignited vapors from either stored gas containers or garden machinery. Thankfully, no one was hurt. All right, it is one of the most popular and admittedly slightly nauseating traditions in the U.S. on the 4th of July. He is the Citadel because he is freedom and he will never falter. He will stand <laughs> Wow, what an introduction for reigning champion Joey Chestnut at the annual Coney Island hot dog eating contest. <laughs> what an introduction like that. Chestnut, obviously the favorite. The only question was whether he would beat his own record uh, made last year of 70 hot dogs. In the end, it wasn't even close. He did set a new record, 72 hot dogs and their buns in just 10 minutes, 12 more than the second place finisher. The women's competition, Mickey Sudo had her fourth consecutive title, 41 dogs and buns in 10 minutes. I mean, they're dipping them in water and I, jamming them in. It's just wrong. I have to avert my eyes. I can't watch it. <laughs> so. Apparently, um, they know how to expand their stomach. How do you do that? I don't know how you do that. But someone said on the broadcast, your stomach is the size of a Nerf football, basically. Mm -hmm. okay. But they can expand it two or three or four times. And that's why a lot of them are thin, because if you're a heavy person, the fat pushes on your stomach and it can't expand. Yeah. See? Mm, what a see what a skill. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I know. Hey, Henrik and Daniel, move over. There could be a new Swedish duo for the Canucks. It's funny because we're different kind of players, but we still have good chemistry. Elias Pedersen, Jonathan Dahlin. They played together in Sweden and one day they'll play together for the Canucks. Also tonight, why a Richmond company gets credit for making the Trudeau children look so darn cute on Canada Day. 
Just before sports, returning to one of our breaking stories tonight, an aggressive wildfire burning south of Penticton. Shelby Tom is live near the fire with an update on that. We know, Shelby, that at least one home has been lost and we've been hearing other structures are being threatened. Bring us up to date. That's right, Sophie. I'm here on Lake Hill Road. This is in Caledon, about 13 kilometers south of Penticton, where a number of evacuations are underway. You can see a roadblock behind me. All of the homes east of this roadblock have been evacuated. There are still some residents that are standing around watching fire crews action this fire, uh, not sure if they're even going to have their homes still standing when they return. This fire is 5.5 hectares in size. 35 forestry firefighters are currently actioning this fire. Two helicopters are also bucketing. We've also seen at least two air tankers with a number of fire retardant being dropped on this fire. As you mentioned, at least one home has been destroyed. We've heard reports of up to two homes, and an RCMP officer did tell me there have been a number of injuries, but he couldn't confirm who was injured or uh, how severe those injuries are. We'll have more for you on this story later tonight. Sophie? All right. Thanks for that. Shelby Tom on the scene in Caledon. Uh, that fire taking at least one house, possibly two. And as Shelby said, we'll keep an eye on that for you. Big, big impact on everybody in that area. Uh, okay, Squires here now. We'll take a look at what's happening in sports. Well, all the prospects are in town for the Vancouver Canucks. It'll July get-together. Since the late 1970s, the Canucks have been like the NHL's IKEA. They've been putting things together from Sweden. Swedes dominate their current roster. The Sedins, Eriksson, Edler, both goalies. In fact, those six Swedes, I believe, eat up 49% of the Canucks salary cap going into next season. When they retire or get close to retirement, there'll be other Swedes to take their place, like Jonathan Dahlin and Elias Pettersson. Tell me if this sounds familiar. A pair of Swedish teenagers played together since their formative hockey years back home in Sweden, who just so happened to be roommates and also starred together on the same club team, finishing 1-2 in scoring. If you're thinking Sedin's succession plan, you're not alone as Elias Pettersson and Jonathan Dahlin show the same Swedish chemistry. What works with you two? Why does it work? Yeah, it's funny because we're different kind of players, but we still have good chemistry because uh, he's more like... Uh, he can set me up, and if, if, I, if I go into an opening, he'll, he'll find me. So it's, it's a good feeling for me to, to go into that opening when I know he can find me. So that's, that's the main thing. We think uh, like the same on the ice. We know where the other player are. So, uh, yeah, so we are very similar on the ice. Best of friends and a big part of the Canucks' future. Both appear to have the tools to become primetime players. Pedersen the playmaker, Dolin the finisher. How soon their chemistry translate to the National Hockey League is the ultimate rebuilding question. Both are, you know, great prospects and good kids, and uh, whether they're, you know, play on the same line in the future is yet to be seen. But uh, there's always that possibility. The fact that they were, you know, teammates in Timra is a is a nice story. Pettersson. Of the two, Dahlin appears closer to making the jump. He already has a big league shot, and his style of play, working out of the corners and driving towards the front of the net, is perfect for the NHL game. Pedersen is the smooth, crafty, skilled centerman, but at 160 pounds, his frame is slight for the nightly riggers that come with a full 82-game NHL season. 
Are we making too much of the fact that he only weighs 160 pounds right now? You know, I think that uh, you could look at that as a positive. He played in a men's league last year, and, and uh, I, I think when just talking to our guys and the type of commitment he has uh, to, to get to the next level, he there's lots of guys that are very effective pros that are, you know, 175, 180 pounds. Um, and I think that the way he thinks the game, his hockey sense, his vision, will make up for, uh, for that. I got a way to put weight on him. Get him in that hot dog eating contest. There you go. <laughs> I'll put 20 stuff. pounds. Milos Ronic. And uh, no surprise today. Jan Leonard Struff of Germany was his opponent. Of course, Ronich was a finalist last year in the Wimbledon Championships or the All England Championships. The Championships, as I like to call them. Anyway, he moved on to the second round, but Vancouver's Voshek Pospisil did not. Dominic Thiem was the guy he was taking on. He's number eight in this tournament, so this was a big task for Pospisil. Couldn't win it, lost in straight sets. Ronich wins in straight sets, Pospisil out in straight sets. Oh yeah, it's July the 4th. Independence Day in the U.S., so day game at Yankee Stadium. Jays, Yankees. Jose Bautista's at the plate. Man on second, it's Darwin Barney. Barney, who came up to the Blue Jays through the bedrock system, scores there to make it 1-0. Blue Jays need a big blow right here. <laughs> his son Bam Bam was very proud of his dad when he crossed home plate. Kendris Morales scores two here. Here comes Josh Donaldson. Safe. Jays win it 4-1. And at the Tour de France, stage four, controversy in the stretch. Mark Cavendish, was he bumped by Peter Sagan? Well, he definitely goes down. Broke his uh, shoulder, so he's out of it, Cavendish. But so is Sagan out of it because they said he pushed him over. Sagan's people are now appealing this decision because they don't think their man elbowed him off the course. Who knew cycling could be so controversial? I know. It's, it's full contact. It is full contact. Grand Thomas still has the yellow jersey. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks, Claire. You're welcome. Let's check in with Samantha Falk now for a look ahead to Global News at 11. Sam. Thank you, Sophie. We'll, of course, bring you the very latest on that fire burning near Kalidin at 11. And you've also got to see this. This is dinner in the sky. Definitely not for those afraid of heights. For up to $900 a person, you can be hoisted high above Vancouver for a meal of a lifetime. And we'll also hear tonight from Jeff Meggs, the man now behind our soon-to-be premier, John Horgan. Sophie? All right, thanks, Sam. And when we come back, an amazing assignment for a Richmond clothing company to outfit the Trudeau kids. Back in a moment. Well, it was a dream assignment for a Richmond company, designing the clothes for the Prime Minister's children for the Canada 150 celebrations. But as Grace Key reports, a last-second mix-up had them scrambling to make that dream come true. I think that this style would be the best. Tracy Costa started her children's clothing line, Peekaboo Beans, in her home back in 2006. This May, she got an email from a fashion stylist, Jessica Mulrooney, on behalf of a special client. It's what most businesses can only dream of. They were interested in Peekaboo Beans uh, creating a custom collection for the Prime Minister's children for Canada's 150th birthday. 
And I thought to myself, am I awake? Am I dreaming? <laughs> and then incorporating the red and white stripe in there. So From a Richmond office, her team got to work on designs, scrambling to put 20 pieces together in two different sizes just in case. With the final bow in the package, Tracy realized the colors were wrong. Say so probably no one would notice this, but I would. So uh, we within uh, t we had to produce the whole collection again within 24 hours. Yeah. So that day, just everything, all the stars aligned at that one moment, and all came together. And the pictures with the kids and the royals. We've seen pictures with Bono and the Edge, and the kids eating their apples beside them. And it's just like I never thought in my life that this would be happening. The Sophie effect soon took off with requests coming in for the same outfits, but they were custom made. The similar style dress goes for $64. Peekaboo Bean sells online or through home shopping social events. We have over 1,200 women across Canada and we're growing every day of people, women that sell our products. So the impact not only to us as a business, it's impacting these women all across Canada. The company made $3.8 million in revenue last year, recently went public and moves into the United States in the fall. The Sophie effect couldn't have come at a better time. Grace Key, Global News. Just so we're clear, it's the Sophie Trudeau effect. I don't have that effect. I was going to say, that's oh, no. amazing. You they've been very uh, supportive of charity events. Charity events that I've been uh, asked them to contribute um, something for donation and uh, they've